0: Today, lucky enough to have Jared Gosson's Order of Australia medalist. Jared, welcome to the studio. Thank you. You were born blind. Yes, I was born totally blind. And this guy has been up Mount Everest. He's a Paralympic athlete. Success is a journey, never ever a destination. What do
1: you think your greatest
2: achievement is oh, thus far? Probably
0: being on this podcast. I would say.
1: Apart say. from that. <laughs>
2: apart from that. Uh, funny enough, it was uh, dancing with the stars. If you ask a girl out to go to the movies, and they go, "Well, hang on, you're blind." What are you going to do at the movies? <laughs> no, <that's a> <laughs> <laughs> Trade
1: Mutt Radio, coming through on your
0: wireless. <laughs> Righto. Welcome back to another episode of uh, Trade Mutt Radio. I'm not sure we don't really have a tagline for Trade Mutt Radio yet, but uh, today we, we have... We might get one out of this episode. We might get one out of this episode. Today we have a, an amazing guest who, um, yeah, is just... Is, is just we're going to find out a lot more about him. This guy has been up Mount Everest. He's a Paralympic athlete. He brought a piece of Everest in with him this morning. But most notably, he's an absolute—he's a chocolate guru. So uh, today, lucky enough to have Jared Gosson's Order of Australia medalist. Jared, welcome to the studio. Thank you, mate. It's an absolute pleasure to have you in here. We um, uh, we've just been lucky enough for our entire team to hear a little bit from you and a little bit about you know, about your story. Um, which we're gonna dive into a lot more, but um we met just the other week at a at a TX charity fundraiser at your at hosted at Chocolate Moments on Albert Street in, in the city. And mate, that was one of the best affogatos I've ever had <laughs> in my life.
2: We make a mean chocolates and a mean cocktail.
0: Well, yeah, I can I can tell you my affogato was definitely mean. I could have <laughs> had about
2: twelve of them and
0: they were definitely flowing that, that night. But uh I, I restricted myself to one and I was all the better for it. Um, so mate, yeah, you're an incredible bloke. I mean, where do we start? You know, so you were you were born, uh, you were born blind. Yes, I
2: was born totally blind. So there are, I suppose, I have uh, prosthetics, so I have that chance to see, uh, I suppose, light or dark. Uh, but for me, obviously, that hasn't uh, hindered me in my pursuits, whether it be at uh, you know, university or high school or uh, my work life or as an athlete. I think for me, it's always about. Understanding that you know success is a journey, you know, never ever a destination. And for me, along that journey has been a whole range of unique challenges in the process. But uh, the journey will go on you know, this year, next year, and onwards it goes.
0: And I think one of the things that I'm most interested to hear about is some of those unique experiences, uh, because I'm sure they haven't all been perfect, um, and I'm sure you've you know, found yourself in a lot of challenging situations. But I also imagine that you've probably grown a lot and, um, you know, found out a lot about yourself through your, through your different
2: escapades. Oh, look, and and there were times when you, you thought you were going to be achieving so well where things just went completely astray. And I think for me, even outside the, the school grounds where at times those were the, the comfortable environments where you knew where things were right in their place, I suppose very similar to a trace person name, where exactly every tool was in the toolkit or uh, knowing where the job that was at hand, what they were actually going to be doing, where at, outside the school grounds, those were at times the most challenging, where the, where the unusual experiences were things where you couldn't actually plan for. Uh, and we often go down to the beach at Yapoon High and uh, those cold, sort of uh, refreshing swims on those hot summer's days. And the tidal flight at Yipoon is at times quite substantial, at times the water's lapping over the top of the pier at times struggling to hit the base of the pier so being well aware of how high the, the tidal flow was I would sit on the edge of the pier and very slowly slide in trying to feel the water with my feet on this one particular hot summer's day I mates had just jumped in and here it was sitting on the edge of the pier as I very slowly sliding in my board shorts got stuck in <laughs> a nail and for about 1.25 seconds I know exactly how Superman feels until the way my body was too much for the shorts the shorts ripped and I went into the water. Now, there are three significant problems here for a person who's totally blind. A, not knowing who's seen you this most embarrassing thing, and now being totally naked how to find the towel on the beach <laughs> and when walking out of cold water where to put the hands. Uh, so there were some very unique challenges, I suppose, in that one particular moment. But for me, it's always about giving it a go. And uh, living in rural and regional Queensland and places like Yipoon, there were there's some very unique challenge not only just being totally blind but even working with a guide dog my first guide dog joey and for him working in a high school where you had 600 you know, odd students well like guide dog isn't looking at uh, 600 happy little faces it's working with 1200 little knees so they have to work out <laughs> who belongs to who and how to get through that long <laughs> narrow corridor and though there were simple challenges okay when you pick up a school bag all school bags feel exactly the same or well, is this mine is it someone else's and there are all those small things that were often the toughest to, to get around. And uh, I mean, I think, you know, at times when you you think you've done the best job ever, and things can go astray as well. Where I remember one day I was we were asked to write a short story, and the way I got around with school was I had a, a manual typewriter, which was the bane of my existence because I weighed five kilos and one of those big, heavy ones, and I'd drag it home every day and bring it back to school the next day. And we we're asked to write a short story, 500-word short story. I went home and it's one of those days when, it's like when you're at home doing some work around the house or, you know, you're on a job and just things go really well. You just, you don't even have to think about it. Just things so, fly so well. And I went home and wrote this particular short story and I was so proud of my bit of homework and I took it back the next day <laughs> and the teacher sort of, as the, the particular session went on in the classroom, each of us was invited to walk up and hand our homework in and the teacher would sort of look at your particular short story and mark it off and be sent back to your desk. Anyway, it was my turn to uh, take out my short story and I was really happy with my work and thought, this is really cool. I was going to perhaps get an A and I walked up to the teacher and handed my piece of uh, homework in and she said, where is it? I said, it's right there. And she said, no, it's not. I said, I knew. I just checked my school bag and yes, it was the piece of paper I brought in for my homework. Well, what I'd actually done was... The entire time I wrote the story, it was on correction ribbon. So it was on the white ribbon. On the manual typewriter, (laughs) you had the black, the (laughs) blue, the red and the white. So you could feel the typing on the page, but you couldn't see it. So do you think I could write the same story again? No chance in hell. But for me, it showed me that despite our best attempts, things can and do go astray. And that's where I talk about the facts of life where things do go straight, and i see a lot of people who get stressed out in offices or on the job for example i walk up to the so the kitchen staffer in kitchen and they'll uh, find their, their favorite coffee cup and uh, they'll go and wash it out and then i'll go and boil a kettle put the water in the kettle and boil the kettle and they'll go to the fridge and there's no milk and for them, that's the biggest, I suppose, impact because those smallest things can really pin- impact upon their particular life. And for me, as an athlete and as an individual, those small differences, I think for me, have to make a big difference in knowing what I actually can achieve. And whether it be finding a particular guide runner or a small piece of, as I spoke about, Everest, my most valuable piece of equipment cost me $5. And that was a yak belt which I tied to one of my fellow climbers' backpacks, it's uh, Save their voice and saved my voice, and provided you know, consistent communication along that particular journey.
1: Jared, I mean, it's yeah, it's unbelievable. I'll, I'll chime in here. Dan's been stealing all the limelight, yeah. but um, oh, Jared's been stealing. The limelight. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, of course. <laughs> but I mean, the it's it's incredible um, to think that you know how motivated you are as a person when you know the more I think about it and you've been we haven't really touched on it a great deal yet but we spoke about it before or you spoke about it before with our team is that you're codependent basically with with anyone to go and do like if you want to go for a run you, you need to go with someone else right?
2: Yeah uh, every part of my life is teamwork it always has and, and always will be whether it be having a guide dog or having mates in primary school and high school and sort of you know working together would be sitting in the classroom and a person would tell me what was on the blackboard, you know, a a mate or, you know, back in the other years of high school of, you know, particular girlfriends or, uh, you know, where it could be on on the road or on on a tandem bike or even, for example, out there and doing an open water swim, I have a a tether between myself and my guide swimmer. Uh, You know, obviously, thankfully today, we've a whole range of technology. You've got your exercise bikes on the the Swift or the Kickers, uh, you've got a treadmill, but outside of that, sure. And even... You know, it was really tough as a young guy in high school because, you know, if you ask a girl out to go to the movies and they go, well, hang on, you're blind. What are you going to do at the movies? (laughs) 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 But I really did enjoy the movies. Like, you know, it wasn't about sort of going there and playing around in the dark. It was, uh, you know, sort of the, I can go to movies and enjoy. I can actually pick up at times, like, I love the suspense thrillers because at times I can tell by maybe the voice or the answers, you know, who actually is the culprit, who's the uh, particular bad person in a particular movie. Whereas uh, if I went to like a high action, you know, movie like, a, you know, Raiders of a Lost Ark, you know, I might get uh, – now my wife obviously would give me some sort of filling on some of the high action movies like the die hard movies. Whereas uh, outside of that, i sure I go to movies all the time. Are You a die hard fan?
0: Yeah. Oh god, how good's Brucey? I am, yeah. uh, he's a weapon. <laughs> so you, you, you've obviously you've obviously got a fantastic sense of humor, and you're actually actually a real cheeky bugger. Um, just based on a few <laughs> on a on few, few things that have taken <laughs> place st- the last stitched up one hours. of our stitched up one of our poor psychologists outside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I mean. I gather you've probably used, you know, humour a lot in your life as a, as, you know, as part of a, I suppose, you know, a bit of a coping mechanism, a bit of a take, to look at, you know, a bit of a lighthearted look on, you know, on your situation. Do you agree?
2: I, I, I think for me it's, it's about breaking, like making people comfortable, like because there is that fear of, you know, what do I say? Do I say, you know, have you seen a particular movie or... Uh, um, you know, look at that particular moment, You know, there's there's all those learned fears that people have about a person with a particular disability and every single person has a disability, whether you're being, as I said, not so good at spelling, not so good at uh, maths, not being a chippy. Every single person has a particular disability mm. and it depends what time, what age you recognise that disability depends on your own personal success. That's amazing. I, I, I'd be really interested to
0: know because, you know, I've, heard you know various stories about you know different kids at school and their situations they're in and reason like and the reasons why they may or may not be a victim of bullying mm. did, did you ever did you ever experience you know any sort of bullying at school because of your situation lugging a not only you know carrying a a, 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 a seeing uh, eye dog around the yeah. place but also a typewriter yeah. you know did you did you cop any
2: grief at school oh look i think there was the the fear but the way i overcame that was that as I said, my, my very first day of primary school was the day I realised I was very different. Up until that stage, I thought it was quite normal to walk around the farm and you know, every now and again bump into a half-open door or trip <laughs> up a step. I thought that was that came with the traits of being a young kid. I'd do that on the daily That's still. Right. Me, I know. And it wasn't... In you know, the very first day of primary school, the teacher had a very innovative thought about burning out and you know, nervous energy from the kids and off we went down to the Oval and asked to do two laps of the Oval and <laughs> off I went running around the Oval. I loved running at that stage and... However, in that very first lap, I met every single goalpost on the oval. And it showed me that I was very different to the students because obviously they could want to run around it. And I had to not only excel out there in the sports arena, but also in the classroom to break down their their fears or their perception, not only amongst the students, but also amongst the staff, because for them, having a person who was totally blind within the classroom was, ooh, okay, what do I do? How do I teach them? And those... Would it be humour, uh, suits, or just giving it a go. For example, in my schools, one year in my schools 400 metre race, uh, I lined up my schools four hundred. I was pretty, so you know, pretty determined to go out hard because that way I could hear the you know, running of students behind me on the actual oval. And the gun went, someone out, and about the hundred metre mark, I'd established about a you know, two to three metre lead. I could hear the behind me of the students. Got around to the 200 mark, and same satellite. I could hear the puffing and pounding of students behind me. And this is when I knew it was really important to dig deep, so I dug as deep as I could and went through the, I suppose, the, the, the yelling of the crowd and went through the finishing tunnel and across the line and completed the fastest 400 Yipun High School had ever, ever recorded. And I suppose quite arrogantly can say that time will never, ever be broken. And reason being is because at the two hundred five minute mark, I took a left hand turn, I cut right across the middle of the oval, went through the trophy tent <laughs> and across the line and completed four hundred in approximately forty two seconds. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so well, they're never going to uh, be able to take uh, that away from you. That's oh, right, oh, Jared. So when. So I just want to go back to sort of like early childhood, like even before school. So
2: mm. you have you got brothers and sisters? I have one brother who's fully sighted, and uh, we had a, I suppose a great partnership. So I would follow the sound of uh, his bike to school. I would ride to school uh, behind him. Is he older than older than you? One year younger. One year younger. Okay. So yep. we had the uh, the good old days where when you would put a, a brake clip with a yeah a, yeah a, yeah a peg on your yep. wheel. And make a bit of a tick, tick, tick. Yeah, yeah, and I could hear exactly where his bike was. Or so I would follow the like motorbikes on the in the paddocks, and I would follow the sound mm-hmm. of his motorbike. So how how was it for your
1: um your parents? I suppose you know you've probably discussed them what it was like you know for them to have a child with no sight, and for them to be like, you know, do we have to do anything differently to make sure that you you were getting as many opportunities as you possibly could? Because obviously, like no sight is a massive, um thing to be missing out on as a, as a young child and as a, as a human being. It's it's incredible.
2: I, there's two things there. I, I, I think for me, my parents were not about putting me in cotton ball. There was no compromises. It was was get out there and give it a go and, you know, let's see how far you get and then we'll work it out from there. Um, so whether it be you nice know, to play AFL by you know, being a tagger, you know, as a junior AFL or we used to play cricket by, uh, you know, just bowling and bowling and bowling. And I was just practice. I built my own cricket pitch at home. I would just practise bowling every day um, so I could play local cricket. Uh, but I think for my, you know, being in, in rural and regional areas, there was no chance to be, um, I suppose, receive the services that may have been available in metropolitan cities. And that's perhaps what played me in good stead to, to really try and achieve what I have done today because I know that, uh, you know, outside those circumstances. And look, people often ask me, listen, Jared, you know, who's your uh, who's your hero? Who do you who do you really look up to? Is it, you know, is it, Sam? I mean, like I've had dinner with Edmund Hillary, and amazing guy, achieved so much in his lifetime as an you know, adventurer, um, but who are the people who inspire me? Well, one of them lives in Brisbane. She's a girl who worked for the state government. She's a double-arm amputee. As I said to Dan, you know, she could be, or you know, a runner, or uh, despite yeah, doing walking, but she's a swimmer. She swims like <laughs> on Sunday. She swam five k in, in Noosa in the open water championships, and she just kicks. She goes to QGT. She swam thirty two kilometers this week. That's oh my th- lord!
0: How does she? How, right. how does she
2: breathe? Because like with when you breaststroke, when you that doing, was my question. Yeah, <laughs> freestyle. <laughs> our that's our bubble your, bubble, yeah. Yeah, that's right.
0: Yeah. She just she just does it. Yeah, and you're <laughs> right, and you're right. You know, there's so many other sports that she could have tried her hand at, but she's probably chosen the most difficult one for her particular circumstance, and exactly. she's making it work. That's right. And do you, and did
1: you have you found that you know, especially it's a like team sport, I suppose, or any sort of sport, I suppose you're always competing at someone else. But it's like, did you like people were they like not not pity, but being like, oh, we can't try as hard. We want him to you know, achieve better if we don't try as hard. Is that something that you're like, no, no, no. you go as hard as you possibly can because I'm going as
2: hard as I possibly
1: can so I don't want anything, you know, I want an even playing field. Is that
2: yeah. the mindset? It is mindset and that's why I've always competed. Like that's why I played it. I've i always played, for example, side of cricket. I don't go and play blind cricket. <laughs> I go and play it with a real cricket ball. I go down to the nets. I can hear where the ball is by the, obviously the ball hitting the concrete or the actual pitch itself. Um, and I can bowl, and I, as I said, I built my own cricket pitch, and I practice. I you know, put three big copper posts down the end, and put black plastic, and I would—I could actually feel or hear when the ball hit the stumps. Uh, and you know, as a, right now, I'm, I do local fun runs and park runs, and I, you know, I'm out there trying to beat as many people as people I can. And I, you know, I came second on Saturday, and I was devastated because I lost by three seconds. But that's how competitive I am. Yeah, that's incredible. That is, yeah, unbelievable. It'd, and be, good um, to, it'd be
0: good to have over a net session sometime with you. Yeah, bloody hoes. I'd be totally down for that. But yeah. what, um,
1: what drives you to, you know, because they're, they're no easy feat, you know what I mean? Like to, to learn to play cricket completely blind, get your own cricket pitch and mm. play sighted cricket. Mm. I mean, wh- why choose to do it that way? Because obviously there are easier alternatives, you know what I mean? You could just go play blind yeah. cricket or not play cricket at all.
2: Yeah, I know. And, and that's where... I'm a tad different, I suppose, in some <laughs> respects, that like, I'm a blind person living inside of world. I'm not after... Uh, for example, I suppose this is an easy way of communicating is that when I first built my house in back in uh, the late 90s, you now I didn't build the house, I, I designed the house. And the courier I came and did a story because in my kitchen I put a skylight. <laughs> and they said... I said, why the hell is a blind guy putting a skull out of the house? And I said, well, I'm not building the house or designing the house for me. I'm designing it for the next person who buys it. That was my whole reason for putting a skull in there. Yeah. And, and like, I live, I recognise, I live in a, in a sighted world and I have to, you know, obviously respect those, those environments. However, sure, if there can be uh, some modifications, that would be, uh, you know, for example, accessible screen or these days iPhones talk, almost everything talks. Um, you know, that can assist me in, in doing what I do. And also, buddy, courier mail, is it not just enough
0: for a blind guy to be fully on trend with the current lads, yeah. you mean, know, is that not enough oh for man. you? you know? oh, <laughs>
1: yeah. why, why are you putting a
2: skylight in? That's incredible. Oh. I look, and again, I, I remember uh, some years ago I was telling down on the way here when I was building, I was project managing the Vision Australia building on Old Cleveland Road there at uh, Cooper Roo. And I had to go to a meeting with uh, GHD in the city. And I'll never, ever forget the situation. I was up on, I think they were like, Waterfront, Waterfront Place or um, uh, Riverside Centre. And I was in the foyer there, and I could never, ever forget when I heard the people coming for this particular meeting, and I could, it was a um, marble floor. And I could hear them approach, And when they recognised that they were actually meeting with me, with a blind guy, you could hear the steps just hesitate, like, oh my God, like, if we're dealing with a blind guy project managing a $10 million build. Um, but they then soon understood But you know, like, I think outside the square, you know, we, we built uh, Queensland's first ever five-star rated uh, green building. You know, it has 10,000 litre tanks on, in the floor and 100 solar panels. And I was just telling Dan, the, the, you know, the louvers uh, will open and close depending on the uh, air conditioning. And if there's natural air outside, which is cool, we'll bring it in. We had blinds that would refract the light to save lighting costs inside the building, so we were a, a five star rated building. And that, that was with Hutchies as well. Yeah. Good oh, mates really? with Scott. Yeah, cool. Oh, there yeah. you go. Yeah, yeah. we had Scott on the podcast.
0: Yeah. Uh, I had a beer with him with the cricket yeah. as yeah. well. Yeah, while well, he was dressed like a convict. Convict.
1: That's right. <laughs> but um, I, I mean, I, I'm just trying to, yeah, get a grasp. But I don't, I don't think anyone would ever fully understand exactly, you know, what would go on inside your head in a way of. Like you've ne- like that building that you built, mm. you've got no idea what it looks like. I suppose you've got a feel of stuff that went into it, but you've got absolutely zero idea what that looks like.
2: Yeah, and, th- and that's the thing where you can develop a mental picture of it. And that's where Can you, you know, define
1: that? Can you like explain what that would look like? Like what you think it would look like?
2: Oh, most definitely. Like there's you know, the way in which the building was was sort of set up was, you know, corridors which were very functional and very easy to navigate. There was no sort of tie, twisty turns and the way I designed it, it was very open plan and, and very similar. I would describe it very much like getting around Melbourne, for example. Melbourne's very well laid out and it's yeah. blocks and easy to sort of navigate around. But that's the other, I suppose, frustrating thing is it not frustrating, but people will think you want to know what things feel like and they'll take you up. I've done a lot of travelling and as an athlete and they'll take you to a castle and they'll they'll say, put your on on, hand on the wall of a castle, and go, this is what it feels like, well, this is what it looks like. Well, I think that your one hand now gives you an entire picture of what the castle looks like.
1: <laughs> Something uh, out of some comic book where it's just like, take the 3D yeah, image. Yeah, no, no, like, you know, sort of, oh. uh,
2: but, you know, it it's it, and that's where obviously I've, I've felt um, various designs or sculptures of Everest or have an idea what it, you know, what it actually looks like uh, from a miniature perspective. But obviously it's the larger things outside your hand size we have no and that's where i've got two kids and that was a great thing about having them as you know young babies know exactly what they feel like whereas now as young adults you have no idea what they look like because you don't get to hold them yeah wow and i suppose uh, and i suppose within that as well though you
0: you're you've got you're very in tune with you know every other sense that you've got um and so i suppose that sort of comes into play to create a picture of, of any type of scenario for you as well.
2: Oh yeah, and look, and at times, you know, when it rains, uh, you know, that creates a picture because it you know, bounces off the, you know, a, a sheet metal roof uh, or off the bitumen or pavement or off grass or off trees and that can create a, a magical picture for you in its own surroundings or as does the wind, you know, amongst the trees. It gives you some idea of the height of the trees and the way the actual tree is shaped by the wind that's rushing through the uh, the forest, or a, a sparse knit of trees. I I
1: remember my mum because she taught me long, um distance education. I grew up mm-hmm. yeah on properties around Longreach, and um, we were discussing there one day how or if like do they even do it define like explain colour to someone that's blind mm-hmm. like do they do that and can it be done because I've got absolutely zero idea how well, you we do that. We were just
0: talking about it outside. I we? know, but I mean, does yeah.
1: do, Jared? Do you actually? Yeah. Have you been described what colour is?
2: Well, colour is a, as a feeling, as I was talking with Dan and the guys out there, as in people will assume that because you're blind you see black, which is furthest from the truth because I have prosthetics, whereas, you know, to see dark you must first see light. So dark is, is the absence of light. So I would describe colours in, in various forms of feeling. So it could be, uh, uh, as I said outside, you know, red could be hot, orange could be warm, blue could be white, white could be freezing. Whereas, you know, red may be a very, could be angry, could be love. Orange could be energetic, you know, white could be fluffy, could be pure, could be um, freezing cold, a whole range of different feelings. And that's the same on a work site. We all could be looking at exactly the same design or exactly the same sort of paint on a on a wall, but all seen in a very different light. All the same instructions, you know, the boss or the supervisor or the you may say leave a set of instructions on what to do in that particular room. But we all see it, you know, hey, listen, you know, put the... Um, I put the PowerPoints in such such a location. Oh, all, I, I took it in a very different way. Yeah. Way I wanted that particular PowerPoint put in a certain part of the of the building. I
0: and suppose that speaks to perception, right? And everyone has different perceptions of, of, of the same thing. Yeah, and but
1: people – I think people's perception is that – well, yeah, but still like on how – you don't see darkness, right? So because mm. like everyone just assumes, oh, to just be black. Mm. But what is it
2: if it's nothing? Because is black – like black's not nothing. Black is black. But black is the absence of light. Nothing, yeah. is nothing is is what's between you and I. Okay, that's nothing. You, now, for your brain to understand that is very different because you're always seeing something at the other end. Yeah, that's okay? the hard part because it's like there must be... So you know, if I hold my two hands, what in between my two hands is nothing. Okay, so that's, that's very hard to conceive, but, yeah, know, it's... it's um, black, as I said before, is the absence of light, so that's first yeah. when I see something. Yeah, wow. So... <laughs> What came... So I suppose the,
0: the um, running came sort of first. That was like the predominant thing in your in your formative years that you sort of took to?
2: Oh, look, it was all range of sports. I, I would give everything a go and I was banned from a few sports.
0: What sports? What, what was I
2: banned from? Yeah. Hockey. Um, Hockey. <laughs>
1: Because you get flogging blokes in the shins. <laughs> no,
2: they hit me. They, they raised their – and this is the typical attitude back then. It was like I went and had to go hockey. I could hear where the ball was going. I could hear the rattle of sticks and I could run. Uh, and one person, one young kid lifted their stick too high, hit me in the face and got a bit of a cut. And the teacher said, oh, well, it's too dangerous. We won't need to play uh, hockey. Um, so I thought, well, okay, well, I'll go and start doing other sports. And I started playing, you know, as I said, AFL, crickets, um, uh, soccer, um, anything that was involving a ball, I suppose I played. That's incredible. <laughs> I point. just can't. I'm Mate, speechless. You must have
0: um, in the cricket nets. You must have worn a few a few red balls or what?
2: My wife <laughs> would go to work. She was a phys ed teacher with bruises all up and down her legs. Okay, from from batting because I would get oh, you ba- you'd bowl at her. Bowl. Essentially, like you know, I. would Bounces or all sorts of stuff. There's no <laughs> holding back with her. And even with my brother, I would bribe my brother to play cricket. So I would say, "Look, I would do your chores if you come outside and bat, so I can bowl at you." That's how determined I was, uh, I suppose, as a, as a cricketer. Yeah. What, wow. what sort of bowler are you? Uh, medium, medium, yeah. medium pacer. Yeah, yeah, righto. I can get a bit of pace up with my height and little, little off, little trundle off, them in, little yeah, off cutters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I like I like sort of angling them in, and because being a left armer. Um, oh, you're a left armer. Yeah. Ooh, right up in the ribs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 Get that India. you. Yeah. have yeah, a few of my neighbors and mates in school, a few black eyes, you know, so lifting the ball. And I used to prepare the pitch so heavy to bounce on it, you know, it's a bit, <laughs> bit ugly that way it was. God, do yeah. you think Mitch Johnson's a weapon, you know? Yeah. Wait till you see Jared <laughs> <laughs> steaming
0: in in the nets. Right. You probably, you probably, mates probably didn't want to go to the nets with you much That's anymore, right. do they? <laughs>
1: they had. Um, they had an episode on uh, you can't ask it on the ABC. Hmm. I think it must have been end of last year. My wife and I were watching it. it. Was and it was people that were blind and it was incredible. One of the questions was, um, "Do you have enhanced senses?" <laughs> 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 Same stuff <up> as before, <laughs> but the, the, but is that a thing? You know what I mean? Like, do you do you think you hear better, or do you hear better than most people, or is this just a
2: okay? So our brain works on. 75% of visual communication, visual uh, I suppose use, and 30% obviously is on the hearing and, and another range of other senses we take into that 30% smell, touch, uh, hearing. So people will then become dependent upon that particular visual I suppose, sense of receiving information. And for me, obviously, not being able to see, I just intensify those other senses. So they're exactly the same. I'm given the same... I suppose abilities, I just use them in a different way that you do. So your, I suppose your hearing might become a bit lazy because, you know, you can see what's... For example, it stuns me how people these days can go to a nightclub and actually communicate because it's all done by visuals because the music is that loud, they have no chance of hearing each other. So it would be... And I don't know how bartenders do it because they must absolutely go home and just sag on the couch because they've struggled to understand what drinks are being ordered.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've definitely struggled to order drinks at a bar at, yeah. at nightclubs plenty of times. Mm. I don't know if it's because of the volume or if it's because I was slurring my words, yeah. but de- definitely had my challenges. <laughs> um, you mentioned something before which I want to touch on, which seems really poignant, and it was that we all have disabilities. Mm. Um, and I thought that was really interesting because I've never really considered it. But being in the mental health space for us, there are so many. There are so many you know, things that people experience, you know, whether it's, you know, poor body image or self-consciousness or a lack of confidence or all these kinds of things. And I suppose, is that what you're referring to when you say that we all have some sort of a disability?
2: Yeah, I I think, uh, look, you know, where it'd be, it's about recognising that particular disability, which is, you know, it's not one side, it's a disability, it's, it's a way we actually have to, something that we have to work with to improve upon ourselves. So... Sure, I'm totally blind, but the way I work on that is whether it be through my sport or my career or my goals or my education or my training, Um, all those ways I intend to improve upon myself or having, for example, a guide dog. That improves my ability to achieve what I'm looking to achieve. And it's the same, obviously, whether it be that self-body image. It's okay, well, listen, how can I improve upon that? Whether it be uh, working on both my mental and physical uh, well-being uh, in improving that particular, uh, I suppose, questionable disability as such but we all can look at some amazing obstacles in our lives and see them as obstacles whereas there are some amazing gaps and what I mean by that is that I had a friend who was lecturing in sports in the United States and for the first long weekend he bought himself a mountain bike and joined a local club and went out there with the club and first time at it it wasn't too crash hot and after the first few hours he had a few falls and they stopped for a short break at lunchtime, and one of the more experienced mountain bikers came up to Tom and said, "Tom, well, you know, how are you finding it?" And Tom said, "Well, you know, obviously it's a bit challenging, but uh, perhaps by the end of the long weekend, I'll, I'll, I'll get the hang of it." And the more experienced mountain biker said, well, "Listen, you've you know, you've had a few falls. You know, when you're going down the mountains, you know, what are you looking at?" And Tom said, "Well, you know, obviously I'm looking at the you know the rocks and the trees." And the more experienced mountain biker said, "Well, that's your biggest mistake." And Tom said, "What do you mean?" And the more experienced mountain biker said, well, you should be looking at the gaps in between the rocks and the trees. And yeah. often what is evident is the rocks and the trees. We don't look at the gaps. And the gaps are what we actually can achieve. And sure, I can't drive a car, but I can certainly catch a taxi or I can catch public transport. And they are the gaps.
0: Wow, that's an awesome perspective, isn't it? Mind blowing. Very cool. That's cool.
2: But you had a guide dog that could drive a car, didn't you? I did. <laughs> Back in 89, we placed a front page article on the front page of the Rocky Bulletin. Blindness, no blink on license. Jared Gossens and, and guide dog Joey receive driver's license. Joey does two barks for left, a bark for right, and he up for stop. And sadly, 65% of people who read that story believed it. And we had phone calls all day to the police station and to the newspaper asking how a dog does reverse angle parking. <laughs> But we've done crazy. Like, as, as you heard, Dan, I've you know, flown a plane around Queensland three times. Scared the hell out of the air traffic controllers. <laughs> but we, um, we got On pulled. your own? I had a co-pilot, and uh, they would give me uh, some of the instrumental uh, information, where it be the uh, speed. Um, and it was because it was a motor guide, it had a 15-metre wingspan, um, so I could actually tell by the actual feel of the wings uh, in which way Obviously, it was level. I could use the things like, for example, like the sun uh, from our directional perspective, um, but that would give me uh, some of the altitude readings. And uh, it wasn't. There's not a lot to run into up there. At, you know, five thousand feet or ten thousand feet. It's very capable for a person who's totally blind to do. And
0: you must really be relying on your what do you call it? Like the feeling, like feel, your yeah. center of gra- your center yeah. of gravity to sort yeah. of you know feel your you know where the, how level you are and all that sort of stuff. Hmm.
1: But what do you think? Like you know, you've, you've achieved a lot. What what do you think your greatest achievement is oh, thus far? Probably
0: being on this podcast. I would say. Oh, apart, exactly.
1: from that, <laughs> apart from that.
2: Apart from that. Funny enough, it was uh, Dancing with the Stars. Uh, and reason being is because climbing Everest, okay, Everest isn't the most technical mountain in the world. Okay, whilst it's the highest, there are far much harder mountains in the world to climb. Whereas dancing with the stars, it's something that I'd never ever done before in my life. I never danced a step, and going on live television, so there's no sort of oh, okay, well let's stop now, let's cut, let's come back and do that again. Okay, it's live television. Secondly is it's a live band because it takes away your hearing, so you're doubly impacted by the whole process. Then you've got three cameras that follow you around the floor. Uh, Then you've got a live audience. Uh, Then you've got uh, lights that ring around the circumference of the actual dance floor. So there was all these particular challenges that we had to face, but we made it to the final, Dancing with the Stars. And that was about the journey. It wasn't about how good we were as a dance team about the story we told and about the effort we made into inventing, so we invented a whole range of different lifts and throws, and that's what captured the imagination of the Australian public. Was the different lifts? Like there are people now still using our lifts in dance choreography. Oh, be- have you? Have you? Are they named after you? Please, no, not named. Not named after. <laughs> not, but <laughs> but they, they they saw. Okay, well, listen. Okay, that's what they did, and they've now used our lifts. So it's it's we had to be, I suppose, innovative in the way we actually told the story on a particular dance because. Uh, you know, for example, I think there was a the fourth, as outside, the, the fourth episode was the hardest where we had to dance for 20 seconds on your own. Now, 20 seconds may not sound like a long time, but 20 seconds on national television, dancing entirely independently, having no idea where you are on the dance floor, even if you are facing the right way. I could have been spinning around and dancing the entirely incorrect way. I could have danced my way into the actual audience, gone left of centre, off we go. Um, and off I went. So yeah, look, that 20 seconds was the longest, I suppose, time I've ever spent in my own psychology of knowing that and making sure that I was in the right place at the right time. There's a couple of real chances that are being taken here. Cause number one,
0: channel seven to, to, you know, have the audacity to invite a, a blind guy <laughs> onto, say audacity onto their, onto their TV show, <laughs> yeah. you know, as a dancer, obviously, you know, a what are they thinking? right? Mm. <laughs> yeah? That's Right. And obviously they want you to succeed. Um, and then for yourself to take up the chance and 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 go and do it, and obviously you want to succeed as well. You don't want to fail on, on national TV. But what? How important do you think it is to take chances like that and put yourself in uncomfortable situations that you know that
2: you that you, that may set you up for failure? I oh, look, you know, as a as a blind athlete, when I go out there and I've raced, uh, whether it be on the athletics Oval or any, I suppose, number of sports. Like, I, I, sh- I know that I'm not going to be able to achieve as, as much as a solid person can, Where it be, you know, for example, playing AFL. I can't go out there and you know, mark the ball or, or do a specky, whatever it may be. Or um, For me, it was about understanding, okay, well, you know, these are my opportunities and how best can I achieve at those. And on Dancing with the State, sure, I, I wasn't the most... Um, I suppose finesseful person on the dance floor, but I tell you what, we told the story and we actually also made it exciting for people with a different lifts. Like when you've got a person running at you and you have to catch them and throw them through your legs and then back through the other side. Like that was, was something that was innovative and creative and created a story. Whereas I could have been very, I suppose, graceful, but that was going to tell a story. And it must have been sort of almost exhilarating for your dance
0: partner to entrust you with her safety i suppose in doing all that sort of stuff and
2: and, and that must
0: really empower you as well to know that that yeah. person's willing to put their trust in your hands
2: oh look we, we we were working our asses off the entire time like you know in between the because every sunday we have to do the live show and in between that week we were learning you know three four five dances in that one week uh we were working so hard on making and as I said before, with that yak bell uh, on climbing Everest, my most valuable piece of equipment on Dancing with Stars, again, maybe a bit more than five dollars, maybe eight dollars. And what was that? That was carrot and ginger juice. And the reason why I use that was because ginger juice is great for sea sickness. And with the number of spins that I was doing on Dancing with the Stars, side of people will or professional dancers will look at a point on the floor because of the equilibrium. Oh yeah. Okay. So for me, not having that, I thought, okay, well, what? Stop seek sickness, ginger does. So I would down a couple big glasses of carrot juice and ginger juice um, before the actual show. That way I wasn't going to get sort of, uh, you know, Motion in sickness. my spins. Yeah.
1: I suppose it would have been impairing too for, you know, kids at home that were blind, that were listening to the TV. It's like there's, there's someone that yeah. I've been, you know, I've been listening to this yeah. station or I've been listening to TV for so long and I've never, ever heard of anyone being blind on TV. That would have been empowering
2: too. But you know what the, the worst thing was? Was that the actual number of angry fathers who, <laughs> the reason being is because the wives were home going, well, hmm, if a blind can dance, <laughs> why can't you dance? <laughs> so they were getting sort of japed and reused by their wives going, well, hey, listen, if you can do it, then why aren't you up on the dance floor as well?
1: So have you continued to dance?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Jess and I do some corporate events still together. So after all these years, we still you know, dance together at uh, various... Oh, how yeah, cool is that? Uh, and, and, and again, going back to the various conditions, and this is the same within, I suppose, the building environment. We all can be trying to uh, do the same process in our work, but those different environments can create a whole range of different circumstances, as in if you go to a wooden sprung floor to an actual wooden floor, they can alter the speed of the actual dance. Because it's a rebound off their wooden floor or how slippery it is. So that change a whole range of different situations. And for someone who
0: can't see that... Yeah, distinctly, just taken,
2: yeah. yeah, dramatically changes your responsiveness, I suppose.
0: What, exactly.
1: what about your, your... Like, what are you aspiring to, to achieve, you know, in the future? Gerald, like, you've obviously achieved a shitload of stuff already. Uh, I mean, a little bit. A few things. Yeah, um, so, so what, like, what's the next thing? Because... Yeah, like I'm just I'm just blown away with like how motivated you are and how willing you are to try new things because it's a, it's a rare trait these days. You know, like there's so many people that when we've talked about this, you know, endless on this podcast that, you know, people have got a business idea or they want to quit their job and, and travel around the country or they want to, you know, go and do something outlandish, but it's sort of they want to conform. They don't want to take big risks because they're worried about what people perceive them if they fail, you know. It doesn't seem like you give three shades of anything about that. You're just out doing exactly what you
2: want. Because I don't have those learned fears. And that's because, as I said with Dan's team, is that you know, we have three fears which are fundamental to our lives as human beings. And that's the fear of falling, which makes us walk. So if we wouldn't have the fear of falling when we got off our hands and knees, we'd have that fear of falling, we actually wouldn't learn how to walk as human beings. The second one is a fear of um, noise, which is a sense of danger. So it could be, you know, earthquake, fire, a whole range of storms. That's a fear of noise. Uh, the third one is the fear of isolation, which brings us together as communities. So we wouldn't be breeding as human beings and wouldn't have, obviously, our various communities right around the world. Every other fear is learnt. So when mum says, don't touch a hot plate, you might burn yourself. That fear of heat is then learned, Mum says, don't touch the knives, you might cut yourself. That fear of knives is then learnt. When little Johnny, your brother, says, mm, don't do that, you might fall or fail or whatever it may be, that fear of failure is then learnt. Uh, we have the fear of success, uh, we have the fear of the unknown. You know, There's all these learned fears throughout life which we learn and for me as a, as a person who's totally blind, I hadn't learned those fears. It's like, for example, when you go you know, climbing Everest, I have that fear of falling because I haven't seen how far I actually am going. <laughs> of course, yeah.
0: of course. Can we go on can we have a little yarn about the Paralympics and sure. your and your you know your escapades there? Because actually, a I'm surprised that you know I'm surprised that you actually haven't just competed in the you know um, in the regular able-bodied Olympics. I suppose it's because you need a
2: guide. But do you reckon you'd be able to cut it with the big guns on there <laughs> out there? Uh, those guys are, are phenomenal, and I think for me, there's a whole range of things that impact upon uh, whether it be from training, from a uh, like I've never seen and this is actually, I've, I've spoken to my coaches and other people about this, is I've never seen a person run. Mm. So I didn't I didn't even know if I'm running right. it like took me, obviously, through a you know, number of drills and skills yeah. to actually make sure that I'm actually running efficiently. Um, but as, a, as a, I suppose running a 5,000 or a 10,000 or a 1,500 requires that technique and uh, I suppose number of drills to make sure you actually are running efficiently, quickly on an actual track. But yeah, sure, look, I've done it with... Um, some of the best, and I, I still compete now amongst, you know, I'll be up there. But as an athlete, as a totally blind athlete, for me now moving from athletics onto triathlon is a whole new different environment because you're going from a runner, um, we're now to, uh, and runners normally hate swimming uh, because that's a boring sport, up and down, up and down, up and down, and now to cycling and, and to run. So it's uh, it's a whole combination of different disciplines that you have to learn very quickly. And I'll go on to. Hopefully, you know, this year, Tokyo 2021, if it goes ahead. And uh, I'll go to the Commonwealth Games. And once I've done there, I'll actually hang up the boots and retire as an international athlete. But sure, I'll still go on and do Nusa tries and you know, Bar tries and any number of other events. But I have some other passions. Like I love jet skis. If someone said to me which like to jet ski around the world, I'd, I'd jump at it. Absolutely. Oh, you should come with me. That me and Ed we're talking about jet skiing around Australia for charity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we should get you along. Yeah. God, it be I, the, the funniest moment I ever had on jet ski was uh, was at uh, we had schoolies week, and I had my girlfriend went across to Great Keppel Island, and because I'd ridden motorbikes and riding a motorbike on sand is exactly like doing a jet ski, and so the faster you go, the higher you are in the water is you just to move around. And I went over there and I said to my girlfriend, I so listen, let's get a jet ski. And I'm, okay, this is great. I said, look, you just go out there and I'll follow you. And these are the old days when the jet skis used to have the motors underneath the seat. So she gets on the jet ski <clears throat> and I say, okay, look, you go out and I'll follow you. So she starts going through the waves and starts putting a bit of power in it. Now, as I said, the, the, the actual engine's under the seat. So as we go faster, louder and louder it becomes. So it got to a point where my engine's so loud, I actually can't hear her engine. So unbeknownst to me, I've actually gone screaming past her. Oh, no. In, in between yachts, out to the break, and I had to send it a uh, rubber ducky to, to stop me because I was heading to Tasmania, I think, by <laughs> the end. Of, but these days, obviously, the jet skis are, are much uh, more responsive and the engine's are quieter, so it's freezing. But I, yeah, Sadoos, Kawasaki, Yamaha, yeah, me any one of those. So when was your first Paralympics? 1996, Atlanta Paralympic Games, uh, and from there, Sydney 2000 and, and Beijing 2008. What yeah. was Sydney 2000 yeah, like? That's, that's what I want to know too. Uh, Sydney 2000 was spectacular. The best
0: Olympics that's ever been, Any and like,
2: most definitely. none. Yeah, like and for me, uh, as working behind the scenes, you know, as uh, executive officer and also as an athlete, I made a fundamental mistake as an athlete there, I, I came into the village, I put so much energy and work into making sure obviously the Australian team and what we were doing was right and I went, went in there absolutely uh, exhausted. I, I was ranked number two for the 5,000 and the gun went and I just – it's like the old days of gets Mark and Jaime when Jaime loses power and just – um, whereas in the 10,000 and the marathon were much better efforts and the marathon, I led the marathon until the 25K mark and to run across the Sydney Harbour Bridge to be leading the marathon – yeah, the entire Australian crowd there was just phenomenal, and, and to walk into, as I said, Dan, there you, you don't walk into, nothing think, ceremony. Actual fact, you float. You picked up by oh, the sheer splendor of, you know, eighty-seven and a half thousand people, and you float that entire lap. That's incredible. I mean, I because coming
0: from Sydney originally, don't hold it against me, but <laughs> I, that Sydney two thousand Olympics, the blue line yeah. that they had marked on the roads for the marathon runners, and obviously the, the you know, the marathon went far and wide out past homebush. Mm. But that blue line was on the road for for years after after those Olympics. And mm. any time i drive around and there'd the be places where you'd catch a glimpse of that blue line and it just, I don't know, I just always got the best feeling seeing it. It just brought back all those memories of the Olympics and just how sort of special that was. And, yeah, that was one that really stuck in my mind. I must it's be. still here in
2: Brisbane too as well, the yeah. blue line. Do you know the blue line's still here for the Commonwealth Games? No. Yeah, that's silly. So if you walk around the... University of Queensland, the blue line is still there from when Deke won the Commonwealth Games marathon. Yeah, wow. So what sort of success have you had in, in Paralympics? Have you, have you podiumed? Have you got any? I've got, um, got two fifths and a seventh. Yeah, um, nice. And that was at the Sydney 2000 Paralympic Games and we bronzed in Atlanta um, and Beijing fourth. Oh, wow. Hmm. See a little bronze medal there hanging up from Atlanta. Well, i competed in 14 different world championships and I had medals from 14 different world champs.
0: Wow, that's incredible. Just on Paralympics, I imagine, you know, there's a lot of, like, so obviously you're born blind, Mm -hmm. um, but there's a lot of people who sustain injuries throughout their career or throughout their lives for any number of reasons. And then they go on to become Paralympians. And I would assume that a lot of these people may never have had aspirations of becoming an Olympic athlete, but have been dealt a blow, yep. but it's opened the door to achieve really great success, opportunity and, and drive through through Paralympics. Do you see this a lot and how yeah. important do you think that is for a lot of those individuals?
2: Oh, look, it, it's been amazing. Like, you, know, you look at uh, one of our uh, senior canoeists, you know, he was in Afghanistan, uh, obviously was was injured by a, a ULB, um, whereas you've got people who would be uh, accidents in mines or workplace injuries, uh, where they've lost an arm or a leg, uh, who have now become you know, uh, paraplegic in wheelchairs, uh, it could even be as be as simple as you know a a, um, a deck collapsing, and uh, and losing a leg. So this whole range of different stories from athletes, and and that's where the the Paralympics began. The actual Paralympics began from the end of the Second World War. It was those guys who came back from the oh Second World War right, right. who lost a leg, and they were placed in the hospital, and in Stoke Mandeville in London, uh, one hospital challenged another hospital, <laughs> and that's where the Paralympics began. Yeah, that's incredible. incredible. Yeah, wow. So that's where the I suppose the the attachment, or that's where the the connection is with the veterans is between that and the Paralympic Games. Do you ever think that your
0: like? Do you imagine life? You know, if you were born fully sight, like with full sight, mm-hmm. do you imagine what that would look like? Oh yeah. What like, does that What does that look like to you? Because oh. and and do you achieve the same things that you've achieved in, in the life that you've created?
2: I think I would. I would be obviously more entrenched in sport. Would it be you know trying to play cricket for Australia, um, or AFL, um, and yeah, those would be the I suppose the big passions and all the other sports I'll be trying to to compete in. That's incredible.
1: The where, where's the love of AFL come from? Because you're from Yapoon mm. um, you'd think you haven't if, mentioned if
0: cyclone once.
1: Yeah, if you were, if <laughs> if I was, well, I don't know, I'm just guessing here, but if I was blind, living in Yappoon, I, I think rugby league would be an easier sport to get into if I wanted some contact, like ball sports A- stuff, because you just pick it up and run straight ahead.
2: AFL is actually very big in Yappoon, and the Swans actually hold the, now the national record for the most continuous wins. Oh, really? In Australia, the Swans Yappoon team, I think, is now. Um, you look up the records. They actually now hold the world record in Australia for a number of wins by a, a team.
1: Yeah, okay. Incredible. So that's obviously that's where the love of it came from, from the Yapoon side. Yeah. Yeah, cool. And then, I mean, so when you were playing AFL...
2: Um, I was a tagger.
1: Okay, so,
2: so... I would actually... If my coach said to me, okay, look, this is a you know, little Johnny. Uh, he's pretty good. We want you to keep him out of the game. Yeah, Just um, you just stay on him. I stay on him. I could run. And I would attach him, myself, almost attach myself to him. And anytime the ball came anywhere near it, I would block him out. Or tackle him. Yeah, hip and shoulder. I'll be good. How good's that? Yeah, wow. And um,
1: the what about the Australian cricket team? Like, are you a, are you a test match man, one dayer, 2020? Yeah, all of them. You love, love them all? I don't
0: know about that 2020 game last night. No, 2020 no. game last night. He lost by 53, yeah, right? Yeah, and Finchy's not in good form. Not at all. Did he get picked,
1: did he? Yeah, he's a captain. Oh, I didn't even think he would have got picked. He had the worst big bash. Mm-hmm. He had an average of about seven.
0: Well, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't jag an IPL team. So,
1: yeah. Well, there you go. There you go.
0: Um, so there's one whole piece of this puzzle that is just I don't know, kind of the most incredible part to me, is that you are an expert chocolatier. <laughs> Mm-hmm. How um, the hell did that start? I oh know. Like, and what, you,
1: yeah. what? What <laughs> is it? Because you love chocolate? Because you don't look like you love chocolate? What I mean, you've got about it? a six percent body fat I eat
2: composition every day. Every day, and at you're chocolate. not sick of it yet? No, never. <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> don't, suck never. don't say that. <laughs> Absolutely never. Because like, I, I eat real chocolate. I <laughs> eat that sort of. When people walk down, I suppose you, you can call it the confectionery aisle, but I call it the nuclear waste aisle. Um, you know, if you walk into and pick up, a, uh, I suppose, a, a Cadbury or Nestle or hags, whatever. The second ingredient is always going to be vegetable fat because that's how they make their chocolate look shiny. It's compound chocolate. Whereas I use Kovach chocolate, it's, you know, it's real chocolate. It goes through what we call a, a tempering process. It doesn't mean chocolate has a temper. Natural actual fact, it's very <laughs> happy. Um, <laughs> but uh, we're always... and love us. chocolate came through playing sports, so it was very difficult to you know, pick up a memento or a statue or whatever just to bring back as a gift. Chocolate was always an easy go-to thing, great reward at at the end of a competition, great way to get through customs. You declare chocolate, walk through the particular sort of declaration aisle of food items and uh, developed an awareness and taste and opportunity came up. And 12 years later, here we are as chocolatiers having two stores in the Brisbane CBD and designing different desserts. And uh, I make, for example, you know, Father's Day make beer chocolates. I use six different Australian beers um, called the Ultimate Six-Pack. What beers? I change it around all the time, so um, I always, because there are so many different Australian beers, I've used everything from, is um, it Growling Dog, Steamy Mountain Goat, a Wicked Elf, all um, the, I always try to try and use different beers from around Australia.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So how, so, so you say an opportunity came up, but like what, how do you yeah, actually what get into chocolate? Well, like
2: someone was selling a store and I thought, okay, well, here's a great chance to, to take on chocolate and... Off he went, And as in you know, this last year, we became obviously uh, making hot chocolates and, and coffee. So I've sort of delved into that the last sort of, you know, 12 months. And yeah, had it asked me as a young kid, I'd be a chocolatier in a cafe and I would have got no chance in hell. Um, I've never had a bucket list. I've never had a bucket list of, you know, Dancing the Stars or you know, Climbing Everest or Running from Cairns to Brisbane. It hasn't been that sort of predetermined bucket list. It's always been about the opportunity. And that's what scares the hell out of my wife is because, as I said, if you guys said to me, hmm, jet ski around Australia, I'd say yes. And she'd go, no. We <laughs> have been spitballing this idea. It's still here. Yeah, And, <laughs> and like, you know, with a triathlon, when, when I was swimming in the pool, at us uh, say, you're on swimming pool. You know, one of the guys said, oh, listen, you're, you're Jared Gossens. And I said, yeah. He said, uh, hey, listen, you ever done a, a triathlon? I said, no, nah, mate, never done a triathlon because I, I, I hated swimming. Because it's such a boring sport, and I uh, said, so, oh, look, I'll give it a go. And this was, you know, five years ago. Well, here I am now you know, in the Australian team and looking to compete for Australia, you know, Tokyo 2021. That's incredible. I oh, do, I hope Tokyo goes ahead. I and look, if it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Because for me, it's been about the journey. Like, oh, no, I've given it everything I had. And if it does, and for me, it's, it's been about that journey as it was with, you know, the Sydney uh, to Westfield run. Well,
0: I mean, but it's just, Japan's just such an awesome place. Have you been? <laughs> Japan's just <laughs> such an awesome place. Have, it would just you know, be an incredible place to host an Olympics. You know, I'm sure they would end up being so
2: clean. They'd oh, put on
0: such a tight All show. the fresh salmon avocado rolls you could mm, dream oh. of. I actually did a marathon
2: there. Get in me. I did a marathon there some years ago and I was racing it pretty hard. And I, I was stunned because the Japanese would go along. And along the, uh, the drink tables, they had green tea and chocolate cake. That's all they had for the athletes. That wouldn't work too well together, would it? No, it didn't. <laughs> so there was a lot of... Uh, green violent. tea and chocolate. I know. <laughs> I didn't do it, but they—they they were into it. That was their, their big time recovery for a green tea and chocolate cake on the actual marathon course. Um,
0: Joe, do you find that? Um, I mean, we were chatting a little bit in the car earlier, but um, you must just be such an you know, such an awesome role model and mentor for other vision impaired individuals to look up to, and especially young kids. Yeah, look,
2: I have—I um, work with a lot of kids, and my actual company is, is named after a young kid I was working with. Um, so Chocolate Moments is the trading name, um, but my company is actually called Stop and Smell the Roses. And the reason why it's called Stop and Smell the Roses is I was working with a young kid called Blake. And Blake, uh, unfortunately, uh, was diagnosed with leukaemia at the age of 11. And he went through a lot of whole range of various things, uh, you know, lung infections, and head through to chemotherapy. He actually became totally blind. And I went and worked with him and his mother at uh, the Mater Hospital. And he came into remission and went to Centenary High School. Things were looking pretty good. Uh, The age of sort of 13, he um, got himself a girlfriend. Things were looking really cool. I went away to the 2006 uh, Athletics World Championships in uh, Netherlands and came back. And unfortunately, Blake came out of remission uh, he passed away at the age of 14, and I went to you know, Blake's funeral, one of the hardest things, obviously, to go to a funeral, but to go to a young kid's funeral is even harder. And I came away from the funeral, and a few people said to me, oh, listen, it must have been pretty tough. And all the things, you know, I'd just done Everest and Athens, uh, sorry, the uh, Athletics World Championships, and I said, yeah, look, it made you appreciate how you have to, to stop and smell the roses. And that brought about an idea. And I went back to the office and I I called up a a law firm which was still open on the Gold Coast. It was just after five and thankfully they answered the phone. And they looked after intellectual property. And I proposed this idea to the guy. I said, listen, there's a day for Valentine's Day when people you know, from Romantics Day can celebrate, but there's nothing for, for people as such. So, for example, if I walked up to a person 10 years ago and I said to them, how are you? They'd probably say, oh, I'm really good, thanks. If I walk up to them today, it's... I'm really busy. I'm really, really busy. And they judge their self-worth by how actually busy they actually are. So my proposal, and I'm still there to do it once I retire from sport, is I've trademarked the words stop and smell the roses. So I actually own those words around the world. And what I'm going to do is set up a day where if I have a day which allows people to, I suppose, go and have a cup of coffee with their brother or go and uh, go with the teammates and have a I don't know a dinner or go to the movies or really recognise someone for their support or their help. Or it could be mum, dad and the kids going and having a picnic. And I'll stop and smell the roses day, I'll produce a different coloured rose because every rose has a different meaning. I'll also sell a pair of rose coloured glasses and because see people can see things through a different light. And that'll be like a as a foundation of Stop and Smell the Roses and support Australian charities. That's, that's incredible. incredible. That's a really um, – Ed would have been a
0: big fan of that because he's always talking about how people are always talking about how they're so busy and it really irritates oh, him. it
1: drives me mad. No one's not busy.
2: I know. And for me it was about, you know, like taking that time out to, to actually say, hey, thank you, and that's you know, a great job. Um, because, you know, today if I walked up to a – Person office and I gave them a bunch of flowers. they go, hmm, what's going on there? A bit of sexual harassment there. Um, <laughs> whereas if I walk up and stop and smell the roses day, and I give you know um, Jenny or whoever it is a, a particular rose for a stop and smell the roses day, and that also comes with a, a, a voucher to go and get your hair done. Well, that's something that I'm saying. how hey, listen, thank you for your support. Oh, yeah. That's incredible, mate.
1: Well, mate, keep us uh, keep us up to date with that because you know love to um, love to assist anyway. We've been through setting up the non profit thing, and it is a Yeah, it's a journey. It's a (laughs) a journey. It's a journey for
0: (laughs) sure. Um, Mate, it's been an absolute privilege to have you in here today and such a great yarn and you're an awesome speaker and have just got such a wealth of experience. So thank you so much. I would just ask you to share... One final story with this, mm-hmm. um, please. And Ed hasn't heard this, oh, uh, but cool. I managed to hear it the other night. Um, just that time you caught a lift. Oh, yeah. Okay. A dog, a <laughs> <laughs> <at your laughs> boss in the lift, was it?
2: Yep. Um, so that well, there's, there's sort of two stories attached to that is that whilst, you know, Rockhampton and Central Queensland had stories with uh, April Fool's Day, um, as their perceptions still amaze me what can or can't be achieved. and. When you walk into a lift, you can very quickly pick up if another person's in the lift there with you whether be because of the you know, packet of hot chips they're carrying or their briefcase or perfume or aftershave. And I walked into a lift one day and had a rather large box on my arm and a dog and the left hand hands were somewhat full and I sensed the person was in the lift there with me so I said very calmly, very nicely, would you mind pressing ground please? There's no movement towards the button so I said it a bit louder. I said, excuse me, would you mind dis- just pressing ground Again, that no movement, so I thought I'm stuck yeah. you know, I'll go and press rude. myself, you know So I struggled forward with the box on my arm And just as I went to the button, this voice came I said, oh, it's alright mate, I pressed it for you I said, oh, sorry mate, I, I thought you didn't hear me He said, no, it's alright I, I thought you were talking to the dog <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> You are joking no. uh, Oh man!
2: Well, I have it. You know, probably the, <laughs> the uh, entertaining experiences are though is that <laughs> two of them is when you walk down the road, often you stop by people in the street who assume that because you're blind, either a you're a dog psychologist or uh, um, <laughs> I suppose a veterinarian. And I was walking down towards the Queen Street Mall about ish in the morning, and uh, this young girl stopped me. She said, "Excuse me." I said, "Look, I uh, appreciate it. you can't see." I said, "Thank you very much." And she said, so look, I was wondering if you'd like to have a, a feel of me. <laughs> <laughs> so I did. She was a very young, attractive model. Had just done her hair, bought brand new clothes. Here was this guy walking past, not looking at it, So she thought she'd better do something about it. So now I guess most mornings I walk down Queen <laughs> <Prince> Street. <laughs> oh,
0: wow. But I have been,
2: have, I have had, you know, <coughs> you guys have been to the Regatta Hotel. Oh, right, yeah, plenty of a times. Time so, you know, when Miss Regatta was on, no. Okay, I used to have Miss Regatta at the Regatta Hotel. Yeah, right. I was one of the judges. <laughs> That's cruel. Well, no, no, no. It was a benefit because I got to judge the swimwear, the sportswear, and the formal wear. Oh, wow. And I told them that a blind guy was doing it. So every, every year I apply to yeah. be a judge.
0: Suddenly suddenly rubbing your hand against the castle wall to imagine that's the right. castle isn't that's so right. far fetched, is it, mate? That's
1: right. <laughs> oh no, Gerard, that was um yeah, that was incredible yarn. It's the first time that I've ever had an in-depth conversation with someone that's fully blind. I think it's probably one of the first times many listeners have heard, you know, from a from a blind person on a podcast. So we really appreciate your time, um, mate. Yeah, you're a you're a ball of energy. It's um, it's hilarious to to yarn to you, and um, I'm sure it won't be the last time. Look forward to um, yeah, sort of growing this friendship uh, into the
0: future, and okay. obviously wishing you the best of luck with uh, with hopefully Tokyo going ahead. I know you're training quite hard for that at the moment, so yeah, we certainly are right behind you here. So uh, hopefully we can uh, we can get out there and show me how it's done. Thanks, Dan. Awesome, awesome. Thanks, Good on Jared. Oh, Shit. If I stop, I'll die. <laughs>